Life Jesus. Welcome back to episode two of the Galloway podcast. I'm your host, William Galloway. I'm very excited for this episode. We've got a great lineup of guests. We've got Hunter Johnson and Trendon Watford joining the show. And we're going to start with Hunter Johnson talking Alabama basketball. Hunter, welcome into the show. How are you? I'm not a five-star basketball recruit, so I feel like I'm not quite as big of a get for the Galloway podcast, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, you have got the Twitter following of a five-star basketball player, and so I'm happy to have you on. Well, good deal. Let's go. Let's solve some Let's, let's get rolling. So, so, Hunter, you went to Tennessee this past weekend. Kind of walk me through your weekend of, uh, and your experience up in Thompson Boiling Arena. Well, I rode up with um, a name probably familiar to a lot of people, Cecil Hurt, and I rode up with him. Uh, he wanted somebody who could drive on the way home so he could write his columns. I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Um, so we, we left in the morning. We just did a day trip, um, got up there, and I was sitting, like, I mean, I was sitting in the rafters. Um, but really, I, that was my first trip to Thompson Bowling since they have done the renovation, which that was, I mean, it's been almost 10 years, but I Living in Texas, I just didn't get a chance to go up there much. Was really impressed with the arena, um, and it was a packed house, great atmosphere. Um, you know, we get down what sixteen to four early, and you know, I'm sitting there thinking, "Why did I do this? Like, what this What did you get yourself into?" And you know, I guess I just kind of resigned myself to like, "All right, this is how it's going to be." Like, and we, I mean, the thing is, we really didn't play that poorly getting down. They just got like every 50-50 ball. Um, and they were making their shots, and we were committing some dumb turnovers. And um, But I didn't think we played that that poorly. Um, you know, and we kind of kept it – we kept it at 12, uh, you know, getting to halftime. And halftime was like, well, you know, if we can keep it – if we can just stay – keep pace with them and you know, losing by 12, that's not – you know, that's no – there's nothing to be ashamed of there, going up there and losing by 12. And then, you know, the 13th – nothing run in the beginning of the second half starts and you're just like holy crap is this really happening um right and and it was awesome uh and then you know we it just goes back and forth and you know i hate to you know people have been talking about it everywhere you know yeah we didn't shoot free throws well um even guys who normally do shoot free throws well did not shoot free throws well you, you expect herb to not shoot well but you expect days on to hit him. Um, kyra missed one and he's like an 82 percent free throw shooter um and, you know, that hurt. We could have pulled away, I feel like, if we had made some of our throws. But, um, you know, then the last possession happens. And, yeah, it, technically it was a travel. Um, but I think that play happens 20 times in games and never gets called. Um, so it was kind of upsetting to have it called then. It was. It was very upsetting. And my thoughts watching the end of the game unfold were, with 11 seconds left, he got the ball in a position to beat the – number three team in the country. I mean, if you're Alabama and you were given that position from the start of the game, you would say, oh, I'll take that 10 out of 10 I, times. I had that exact thought. And, so, and but my what upset me was that, okay, I did, I will say this, I did think that it was a travel, but in real time it didn't look like a travel. And when when you slow it down and replay, yeah, he traveled. But like you were saying, in that situation, and we're both Bama guys speaking here, but you can't call that late in the game. Um, but my thought on getting the ball to Petty was he had been, you know, Petty finished with 30 points. He was six for eight from three and he had, he had not been creating shots. He had been, I disagree. I disagree. He had been, if, you know, he, he does not have the reputation for doing that, but in that game, he actually did. He drove to the lane on at least two occasions and created his own shot. Um, but go ahead. Sorry. I interrupted. No, that's fine. And, and, but a lot of, a lot of his success, that game had come from threes. And so I was thinking that in that situation, you would want to run something that we eventually saw, um, later in the day with the, in the Duke Virginia game, like the, the closing the door play, you know, uh, where, you, where the player runs through and Petty gets a chance to turn around and hit a three unguarded. But, you know, I was a little shaky with him trying to create something with 11 seconds left. I trust Petty because I've seen him play for years. I saw him create his own shot in high school and he's done it for Alabama. But in the kind of the flow of the game, I wish that Petty would have been given like a closing the door type play to hit an open three rather than get the ball on the wing extended with a turnaround and then have to make something happen quickly with seven or eight seconds left. 
So the initial, I don't know if you heard Avery post game, but we were actually trying to get the ball to Dante um, and get him to put something up with about four seconds left and maybe get a put back if he didn't if it didn't go in. Um, but they they took that away, and we were I think we we're trying to go to we were going to go to Dante because we didn't think they would expect us to go to Dante. Um, and I actually liked that idea. And Petty was the second option when they took away Dante. Petty was our second option. Um, I, I don't really have a problem with it, like. But personally, I would have liked to have seen us just let Kyra Lewis get to the rim. Um, I, I trust his ability to create his own shot and get to the hole more than I do Petty's. Um, so I would have liked to have seen that. Um, I get where you're saying, you know, with Petty shooting threes, but like we didn't really need a three. I like our ability. I think we're better off trying to get to the hole, to the rim, and maybe get a put back over, you know, a, you know, a, a Petty three. Right. With because the way Dante had been playing, especially in the first half, getting all those putbacks and kind of those those cheap buckets. Um, that kind of kept us in the game and kind of totally pushed us, us in the head, pushed us ahead early on. Um, I, I agree with you on that. I think Kyra, you know, but obviously you and I are not the coach. Um, Alabama played a tremendous game, went nose to nose with the number three team in the country. I will say that we, you know, you start, you talked about a, a slow start. I think we had eight points in the first eight minutes, or f- we had four points, excuse me, in the first eight minutes. And then we had 10 by the eight-minute mark left in the first half, and it was just a slow start. And if Alabama can, can kind of get out to that second start, second half start that they had, uh, we would have been in a much better position late in the game. And I know, like you said, people want to address the free throws. The free throws are a tough topic to talk about because you, you leave 10 points on the board. But at the end of the day, you got you to gotta start fast. You got to finish fast. We finished fast. We just didn't start fast. And we left a couple points on the board with free throws. And, like, with free throws, we had a bad day. But, I mean, we're shooting 70%, which is not, like, great by any means. That's, you know, 10th or, no, 9th in the league, um, 69.5%. Um, but right. it was just – it was more so, like, just the guys that, that normally do it well didn't do it. And we honestly – we really, really didn't get a ton of chances in the line. I don't have the stats in front of me, but they went to the line, I feel like, a little more than we did, which you're going to – that's going to happen on the road. Um, but, like, one thing – this is kind of a, a side topic is Herb had one of his worst games of, of his career at Alabama, I think. Um, just a couple of really bad turnovers in the first half. And then the two shots that he took in the second half, I don't think combined came within, like, you know, four feet of the rim. I was going like, to say, that was, that was about nearly a body length of yeah. a small child in terms of just a couple of doinks. Yeah. Like, that was like rough. One of, them was, one of them was when like, we were on a run, um, on that 13-0 run, Petty had just hit a couple threes. Right. Herb gets a wide open one. It's just like, I think it was an air ball. Boink. And, yeah, and but thankfully that didn't end up hurting us because we ended up, you know, we were able to continue that run and got it to 13. Um, and then, but, yeah, there were a couple of other breaks that, that Tennessee got, you know, um, when Petty's th- on that three that he had blocked, um, that guy got just enough of it to block it, but not enough of it to send it into the stands. And it was in the corner. You think that most likely if you block from that angle, it's probably going to you know, go out of bounds. But no, they were able to get the ball back. So just stuff like that, and like you know, little things that you you know you look, you know, th- those things had just as much of an effect on the game as the free throws did. So you know, right. multiple you can lose a game, but because of multiple reasons, not just one. We're talking with Hunter L. Johnson, at Hunter L. Johnson on Twitter, the Hunter Johnson Alabama basketball football fanatic gump, Alabama fan, if you will, on the Galloway podcast, William Galloway here, and we're talking Alabama basketball with their coming off a loss against Tennessee, 71-68. Hunter, I want to talk about Dante Hall for a little bit. We've been talking about him briefly here and there, but a couple things about Dante in this game. He is now, he eclipsed the 700 rebound uh, mark in his career. He is now the fifth Alabama basketball player in history to have over 700 rebounds and 200 blocks. He really kept Alabama in the game. He played really well, um, and he made some gritty plays, especially defensively, you know. Uh, taking a charge, I believe, late in the game, and just yeah. he had a huge and a great game. acting job too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, he's been a. I mean, he's early in the year. I remember saying, like, I remember thinking, like, Dante's got turned on because I just felt like we weren't getting the type of production out of him that you know you expected to. Like, I'm actually I'm looking back at one of the stat lines like, against Wichita State. He had one rebound. Like that was it, and now like he's had double double six of the last seven games. Right, and his ninth of the season leading right. the sec yeah i mean he has just really really turned it on 
Um, it's it's been fun to watch. And the thing is, it's not like we're getting him involved in a multitude of ways. It's not just oh, we throw the ball to him on the block and he goes one on one. Like you mentioned against Tennessee with. In the first half, a lot of it was just really good ball movement and, you know, creating some space for him and him getting wide open dunks. And I'll tell you, when he gets up there and nobody blocks him out and he gets an offensive putback, that is scary because he can throw it down and he's got some power. That is fun to watch just as a fan and any, you know, a fan of basketball, you know, even if you don't cheer for Alabama, the authority that he has with his putbacks and the alley-oops, I mean, he's just an entertaining guy to watch play basketball. And also, one thing that, that he's doing so well is I never would have thought as a freshman he's shooting seventy six percent from the free throw line. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't, I think he was actually, he was two or two on Saturday, one of the few bright spots from the line. Um, but as a freshman, he shot forty three percent from the line. Um, last year, he was only about fifty six percent, and now, dude, I mean, is probably our second best free throw shooter in the team. You know, other than Kyra, he's playing really well, and we're going to see if he can help lead Alabama bounce back from Tennessee against Ole Miss this Tuesday night at home. That game is going to be at 8 p.m. on ESPNU. Alabama will play the Ole Miss Rebel, Landshark, Black Bear, whatever you want to call them. Uh, They welcome Ole Miss to Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday night. Hunter, what are your thoughts on Ole Miss and Alabama and how they match up on Tuesday night? I've watched them play a couple of times this year. I watched that game against Butler early in the year, um, and then um, watched them against Vandy and against Auburn too. And I knew that that um, Kennedy had left them some some pieces. Uh, I didn't realize they were going to be this good though. They've been, I mean, I mean, really, really good, efficient at um, both the offensive and defensive. And they have one of the most efficient offenses in the country. They're twenty third in offense, offensive efficiency, sixty one in defense. They're solid there. Um, Kermit Davis has just come in and taken those pieces that Andy Kennedy left them and you know, really done something with it. You know, their uh, only SEC loss was to LSU, and that was at home. But, I mean, LSU is on freaking fire right, right. now. Um, after, you know, right after they played us, they just have gone on a run. Um, they've, you know, went and blew out Arkansas on Saturday. Uh, I mean, they're just they're playing really, really well. Uh, they're, I, feel like, um, I feel like we're a pretty good matchup for them. Um, so... We were, and tomorrow night is going to be one of those games that like we have to win or don't. It's not a must-win game, but it's one of those that like you really, really need to win. We need to hold serve at home, especially after we you know drop that A and M game. Um, we really need to make up for that, and this is an, an opportunity for a really good win. I mean, this will be a quadrant one, quadrant one win. Yeah, and I believe the rest of our schedule um, is filled with quadrant one or quadrant two teams, and we're now what is it six and two, seven and six and three. What's the number that Alabama is against Quadrant 1 teams? Against it's, Quadrant 1, we're actually 1-3. and three. Um, And Quadrant 2 is where we're 6-0. and oh. Quadrant 2, that's it. That's it. And, and so it's, it, makes, it makes for a combined, I'm no math major, but that's what? 7-3. So, and 7-3, and three. there we go. Yeah. Um, and we do, a couple of, you know, things could fluctuate. A couple of those games could end up being Quadrant 3. Um, I think A&M will probably end up being a Quadrant 3. Um, in fact, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it will. Even though it's a road game, I still think it'll end up being a quadrant three. Um, and then there's like one more. I think that I think Vandy at home will probably be a quadrant three. But the rest of the every other game is a, is a group one or two. So that I mean a ton of opportunities for really good wins. And you know if you lose you know some of those road games, if we lose them, we're still okay. We're gonna um, I need. Really, I, I really think that we're gonna need to get. I, I feel like getting to 500. Um, and you know, be if we, especially if we were if we were able to beat Baylor on Saturday, I feel like getting to 500 would most likely have us in good shape to get in. We're talking to Hunter Johnson on the Gallo Way podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Hunter L Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Hunter Ole Miss is 14 and three. They're four and one in conference play, as you just mentioned. They're three and one on the road, and they're two and zero in road conference games. This team, it's gonna, it's gonna present a lot of challenges, and it's gonna expose Alabama, especially in C, and, and not, not expose in a bad way, but just kind of reveal, I'd say, you know, how Alabama can respond to a loss um, like this past from this past weekend. I think we're gonna need to see John Petty, you know, continue to do his thing, and a lot of people want to see the offense now run through him after he had a great game. But I think you've, you've got to, you know, keep running the offense through Kyra. You give, get Petty some more touches. Um, obviously worked the ball into Dante down low, but I really I like the position that Alabama's in right now. Yeah, and um, 
we've done really well after losses this year. Um, you look at what we did after we lost to Northeastern. We bounced back and win those two games in, um, in uh, Charleston. Uh, you look at after the, uh, I guess it was the Georgia State game. You know, everybody thinks it's the end of the world because you lose to Georgia State. We bounced back and won five in a row, including you know a road game at at uh, Stephen F. Austin. You know, the Liberty game, which was Liberty, was really good. That's ended that's ended up being a really good win for us. And of course, the Kentucky game. So this team has responded really well after a loss, and I expect us to do the same tomorrow. I agree with you. Like just because Petty had thirty on Saturday does not mean that we got to you know try to force everything to Petty now. Just run the offense. You know, I don't even know that Petty will start tomorrow. He hasn't started in you know a couple weeks. Um, I don't know. That that he'll start. Uh, I, you know, if you want to continue the same thing, that you know, maybe he feels more comfortable coming off the bench. Maybe he likes being that you know, spark off right. the bench. If that's what he likes. Let's keep doing it um, because it's working well. I want my friend Gray Robertson to uh, to tweet out again tomorrow, as he did on Saturday, his mileage count. Uh, if you follow Gray Robertson on Twitter, he tweeted and said, "For every three that Petty hits against Tennessee, I'll run a mile." And so he has he owes us six miles as his Twitter followers. So we'll see if he gets to do that. But I saw, uh, I saw that he was doing that. Do you know if he's run the six mile? I, I mean, I, he, should have to, he should have to do it like in one day. Like I, I talked to him. I talked to him yesterday, and I, I'm not sure. Um, I think he and he caught the uh, couch fever watching the NFL playoffs, and so maybe he's doing that on this fine uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. He we shall see. Yesterday in that cold, that was that was bitter. Maybe he'll he'll stick with the uh, with the treadmill. You never know. But yeah. a promise is a promise, so we're going to hold him to it. Um, Hunter, let's look ahead to this Baylor game on Saturday at 11 a.m. Alabama is participating in the SEC Big 12 Challenge on the road at Baylor. Baylor is 11 and six and they're fifth in the Big 12. Of course, the storyline here between Alabama and Baylor is Jared Butler, and and, and he's he's been playing pretty well for Baylor. Um, but of course, the former I guess you'd call him a former Alabama player. You know, he was yeah, here I mean, for he's been all summer here. He was he was here for the summer, and then Kyra Lewis decided to come in, and Jared Butler said. Deuces, I am headed to Baylor. And so well, that was not really how it happened, but right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jared Butler was leaving anyway. There are there are a couple um, more details in there that I'm leaving out. I'm choosing to leave right. out. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, but yeah, he's played really well. Um, they are a team very similar to where we are right now. They if you look at a lot of the bracketology sites, you see us and them in kind of that last four in, first four out. So if you know if both teams kind of continue the same trajectory, this game can end up being really important because the you know, selection committee can look at it at the end of the year and you know, if Alabama and, and Baylor are you know, close in terms of who's going to get in, well, the winner of the game, you know, head-to-heads could end up mattering there. Um, it's a road game, so that's going to be tough. I kind of like it's an 11 a.m. game, um, which is kind of nice because I feel like their, their crowd hopefully won't be too into it. Um, maybe they, their guys will be a little bit, you know, lethargic with such an early tip um and i think our guys will be ready to play out there um so yeah i feel like it's a good opportunity for us right now they are 46th in ken palm uh, ken palm project uh, says that they have a 66 percent chance of winning so it gives us a 34 uh, percent chance so it doesn't think we're going to win but i think it's a really good opportunity for us to get a road game and if you get that game it kind of you have some a little more uh security in terms of like games you might be able to drop further on in conference play Right, and it is it is a nice little break from conference play. You get to go on the road. You get to play a quality opponent. Um, you know, Alabama was was barely given any chance against Tennessee. Went out and nearly beat the number three team. Now number one team in the country after the new after the new rankings came out today. Um, I'm excited to to see that matchup and kind of see how uh, how Jared Butler is embraced by Alabama or the lack thereof. We're interested to see what's going to happen there. But that's going to be a good game, a good test for Alabama. Um, I want to, I'm excited to see Butler and Kyra go at it. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good. Um, I'm sure there'll be you know lots of lots of hugs and happiness there. Right. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe not. Um, hey, I had a, a question from Twitter. Uh, I asked you know what what our listeners want to hear on this podcast. Can Alabama basketball be an elite team? I think so. I think we have the pieces. I think it just comes down to execution. What are your thoughts on if Alabama basketball can become an elite team? I don't know if I would go so far as to say elite. Um, because I feel like the elite teams are the ones that, that bring it every single – all the time. Um, right now we're just so inconsistent. Um, but I will say that if you look at that second half that we played at Tennessee, we had such a terrible free throw shooting you know, night, but yet we're still playing the number one team in the country, you know, now the number one team in the country – 
and despite the bad free throw shooting, still had a shot to win the game at the end. Or, you know, even though we didn't get the shot off, per se, but we did have a shot to win at the end of the game. And that's the number one team in the country. So if we can play well, yeah, I think we can play with pretty much anybody. So I, I would say, yeah, in that sense, yes, we can be elite. But the problem is that for every time that we do that, you get, you know, Times like the second half against Texas A and M, which really was is really the only in our last several games. That's really the only bad half that we've had. Um, if you look at you know LSU, I didn't think we played bad against LSU. We lost the game, but like they they you know were eight of ten from three in the first half, ten of fifteen for the game. That's you know they shot thirty percent higher than they normally do. Uh, you're just not going to win a road game like that. Um, so I thought we played well there. So. It's just if you take a, if we can just limit those bad halves like what we had against ten, against Texas A and M against you know Georgia State really kind of the first you know ten minutes or so against uh, Tennessee yeah I mean I think we can. It'll be interesting to see because Alabama is has struggled with consistency this year uh, and, and, and for and for, for hell for the last and and <laughs> yeah for for many many years many a year in the past but. You know, you, you get the pieces. Avery's a great recruiter, and you just got You got to bring it every night. That's my thing with um, – I was so, you know, I was hammering down on the Texas A&M game. You got to bring it every night. You got to be a killer, you know, because you enter that Texas A&M game and you go into halftime and you're up 11, and you, you got to put your foot on the gas and you got to put that gas pedal to the floor. I mean, you got you to gotta put them six feet under – while you can, while you're up, you don't want to let them come back, and I just that was so frustrating to me uh, that part. And but, it's kind of like what, and honest, I mean, I wonder if Tennessee didn't do that a little bit on Saturday. If you know they have a 12 point lead at half, they think, okay, we, we we've got this, and then we just turned into another gear. And you know, next thing they know, they're like, holy, holy crap, what just happened? A little a little thing I like to call Kirby Smart complacency, if yes. you will. <laughs> but we're talking with Hunter. Johnson on the Galloway podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Hunter L. Johnson. You can follow me at WM underscore, WM underscore Galloway. Hunter, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And um, any, any final remarks? No, I just if I, I hope that anyone who's listening to this is going to be in, in Coleman tomorrow night. I know I'm sure you have a lot of Birmingham listeners. I know it's a tough, tough to get done with a game at 10 o'clock and then get back to Birmingham, but we, these guys deserve a good crowd tomorrow night. We need to create a good environment for them. They, they deserve it, and so I hope we have a good crowd tomorrow night in Coleman. That's Hunter Johnson, the Alabama football and basketball and golf and everything big-time fan, and you can follow him on Twitter, as I said, at Hunter L. Johnson. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hunter. He is always fun to talk to, very knowledgeable, a passionate Alabama Crimson Tide fan and Alabama alum. In his however many years, I'm sure he's been to more Alabama athletic events than anybody I know. So thank you, Hunter, for coming on the show. Next up, we have a special guest, Trendon Watford. Let's kick it over to Trendon and hear his piece here on the Galloway Podcast. I'm joined now on the Galloway podcast by five-star forward and Mountain Brook senior Trendon Watford. Trendon, how you doing today? Doing good. So, Trendon, you are a senior now at Mountain Brook High School. Things have been going well this season. You're 21 and three. Just kind of talk about your season and your progression, and also your leadership on the team this year. Mm, um, you know, coming back from last year, we sort of had like a lot of guys, so like a, a lot of returners, but we lost a few seniors last year, so. You know, um, you know, I would say it was a collective effort as far as leadership. You know, some people had to step up, and um, you know, I would say this year is going pretty good. You know, we played a lot of national, you know, a lot of national ranked teams. So I would say, you know, that's helped us as far as you know coming back and playing the state competition. Talking about that national schedule, you've been to South Dakota, you've been to Florida, you played in tournaments and showcases in Mississippi and Atlanta and just all over the country. What what has that been like for you now being a senior compared to? teams in the past where you've played in Tennessee and regional places, but you haven't played on a national scale like this before? Oh, it was good. It was, you know, last year we made a name for ourselves at Cedar Palms as far as on the national scene. So, you know, this year was, you know, it was pretty fun. You know, a lot of eyes were opening for us, and, um, you know, we took advantage of the opportunity. I want to talk about the IMG game back in December, beating one of the top three teams in the country at the time. What was that like for you, and what what is that win uh, how does that affect the Mount Brook basketball program moving forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, a lot of people, 
you know, I thought it was impossible for us to beat them. So, you know, a lot of, you know, coming into the game, we knew we were an underdog. And, um, you know, we just went out there and played our game. You know, we executed the game plan. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, that was in a lot of people's eyes as far as, you know, now Mount like, you know, you know, consistent top 15, consistent top 15 team in the country, you know. So I would say, you know, that's, that, you know, that's definitely changed Mount basketball, you know, as far as, you know, just the eye-opening standpoint is from seeing it from others. And, uh, you know, I would say, as far as me, you know, it was good beating them. You know, a lot of those guys I played against them are the national circuit. So, you know, just being, you know, just playing with those guys, and playing against those guys was also good. And you play a lot against those guys in the AAU and everything. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. talking with Trendon Watford on the Galloway podcast. Trendon, what does it mean for you when you're playing on the national scale? Because all the eyes are on you, but to get – exposure for some of your teammates uh what does that mean to you because everybody looks at you and everybody knows mountain brook and trendon watford from mountain brook but what does it mean to you to get those other guys in the spotlight when you go play on the national level oh it means where you know obviously you know there's not it's not you know a lot of guys you know as far as name wise you know on my team that's you know pretty eye open so you know a lot of a lot of guys you know few guys want to play the you know next level on our team so i would say you know, just giving them that opportunity and, um, you know, just being, you know, being there for them and, um, you know, being able to, you know, play for them. So I would say that was pretty much good. Trendon, you're in your fourth year playing for Coach Bucky McMillan. You've won two state championships, numerous different tournaments and area tournaments and things like that. Just kind of walk me through your four years and do you think this is the best Mountain Brook team you've played on? Because obviously we were in high school together and, uh, my senior year, your sophomore year, Mountain Brook won its first state championship in a couple years since 2014, but you've now run off two in a row and you've played on a lot of good teams. Do you think that this year's team is currently the best team that you've played on at Mountain Brook under Bucky McMillan? Uh, you know, I would say, I would say, we, you know, we don't have a So, you, you know, you ask me this question, you know, March 2nd, you know, I have a different answer. So, uh, you know, I would say we definitely, you know, we definitely picking at the right time right now. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, I think, I think this team definitely has a chance to do that tonight. You know, I, I, want, I want to give us that title yet. Absolutely. Now, the playoffs are around the corner. You're in the heat of area play right now. What's your main focus um, as the playoffs are approaching? Uh, you know, every game matters from now. You know, we got to play best Stadium tomorrow. So, you know, we're taking it one game at a time. The only game matters as far as having to do with the future, you know, future of the season. So, you know, you know, we got um, you know, every game's a you know a very important game. So you know, scouting and everything like that. You know, we got to take all that in full effect. We're talking with Trendon Watford, five-star forward for the Mountain Brook Spartans on the Galloway podcast. Trendon has up uh, has offers from Indiana, Alabama, LSU, and Memphis. Trendon, how are you working uh, with your recruitment uh, in the heat of all this? You know, your senior season. How is that going for you? How are, how are you balancing? the two things because they're both very important right now as you're a second semester senior yeah uh, it's going good um you know i tried to you know this is why i announced that i'll be trying to play is because you know i want to focus on my senior season and uh you know i owe it to you know all my teammates and you know to focus on you know focus on all of that so just focus on the season and then you know not letting the team stress me out too much so you know um i've taken some official visits already and uh i've taken three out of four official visits and i'm going to take my last official visit after the season so for you as a five-star player getting all those official visits and getting the attention from all the coaches what's the most humbling thing when you go on those visits and um you know what does it mean to you when you go and you get all that attention and you realize that all this hard work is kind of being fulfilled in your dream to play college basketball i would say just as far as you know, just getting a relationship with all the coaches, you know, I said it's probably the most humble thing, you know. Just, um, you know, saying who could be my coach, you know, at the next level. I would say, for however long I'm there, so I would say that's pretty much the you know, biggest humble thing. And what are the most important things you look at when you're looking at a place to further both your basketball career and your education when you're looking at these four schools in Indiana, Alabama, LSU, and Memphis? Uh, I would say, you know, just how I can trust, you know, how I can trust for everybody as far as the next level. Um, you know, I would say, you know, just that would be in the biggest factor, you know, just who I can, you know, come to on and off the court. So, you know, and uh, um, just a coach who's going to push me, you know, to get to the next level after college. So. We're talking with Trendon Watford on the Galloway podcast. Trendon, you can follow him on Twitter at Trendon underscore two. He's the senior 
five-star player for the Spartans. He's having a tremendous year. Mountain Brook is currently 21-3. and Trendon, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, and best of luck with the rest of your season heading into the playoffs. Yeah, appreciate it. So a big thank you to Trendon Watford for joining me on the podcast. I've known Trendon for a couple years now, worked with him at Mountain Brook, and now he is off – about to go do big things wherever he chooses to go play. A lot of people have asked me, William, you know Trendon personally. Is he going to come to Alabama? And honestly, I have no idea. You know, I, I think that Alabama is up there in his top two. I think his top two are Alabama and Memphis in no particular order. I know he took his official visit to Alabama during that Kentucky game uh, back on January 5th. He stayed that weekend down in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, that was a great weekend for him to come down because Alabama got that big win over Kentucky. There was a pretty good showing. I remember the student section made a sign that said Trendon, and uh, he put that on his Instagram story and some of his social media, so that was a big hit. If I'm correct, he took his official visit to Memphis back when they did their fan fest or scrimmage, whatever they do, up in FedEx Forum. They did that one weekend, and he was up there for that. I believe he had a good time. Again, he posted that on his social media and obviously got the whole official visit there with the pictures and everything and all that. And so, yeah, I think it'll come down to Alabama and Memphis, but you never know. I was at one of his games earlier in January. This was actually January 4th. Mountain Brook was playing John Carroll, and Trennan was going down that night to Tuscaloosa for his official visit to Alabama the next day. Well, guess who was there? Will Wade, the LSU men's basketball head coach, obviously LSU and Trendon's top four. Will was at the game, and Trendon didn't play a whole lot. He had banged up his knee the night before at Hoover, and so he didn't get a whole lot of minutes. But Will Wade has seen everything he needs to see in Trendon. He was just there you know, recruiting, doing his part, talking to Trendon before he went down to Alabama that night. And so you know, LSU, Indiana, Alabama, Memphis – Equally, they're all on the hunt. I personally think that Alabama and Memphis are the top two. When you look at Memphis and they have Penny Hardaway and he would have the chance to go play with Wiseman and Jeffries and kind of have a three-headed monster there at Memphis, it'd be hard to turn that down. You know, he's got friends at Alabama and Herb Jones and John Petty and Kyra Lewis. And so do you want to play with your friends? Do you want to go form a three-headed monster and just absolutely terrorize people at Memphis? Wouldn't that be something to watch those guys play together? I guarantee you they'd win their conference. They'd make some noise in the tournament, you know, kind of reshape that Memphis program. That'd be something fun to watch. But Alabama fans hope to see him in Tuscaloosa. LSU fans hope to see him in Baton Rouge. Indiana fans want him up there in Indiana. And, of course, Memphis fans want him in Memphis. So we're going to have to see. The decision is his. But for now, let's move on. We're going to hit our next topic of discussion. The NFL playoffs, the NFC and AFC championships, took place this past weekend. The Saints and the Rams. What a game that was. Well, both games, really. I mean, overtime in both games and crazy endings and crazy ref calls or no calls, whatever you want to call it. It was a heck of a weekend for the NFL. The Rams defeated the Saints in the NFC playoffs 26-23 after a 57-yard field goal in overtime, but no one's talking about that field goal. The Rams move on to the Super Bowl. Everyone is talking about the no call on the pass interference and whether that should have been called. Of course it should have been called. Oh, my goodness. The Rams player just absolutely laid the guy out, and there was no penalty call. What in the world? You've got to call that. I mean, that's just I don't even I don't even know what to consider that. That was that was poor officiating. You never like to blame the refs in games, but that's something you have to call. I mean, that oh, it was it was tough to watch. So the Rams defeat the Saints. The Rams are moving on to face the Patriots who won the AFC Championship. They defeated the Chiefs 37 to 31 in overtime. Tom Brady does it again. Tom Brady, is he the greatest of all time? Yes, absolutely yes. There shouldn't even be a question. The Patriots are in their third Super Bowl in a row. And wow, I mean, they they are absolutely dominating. Tom Brady is just kicking butt, taking names at 41 years old. It's, it's truly incredible to see what he's doing because everyone is so sick and tired of the Patriots, and people are saying, 
oh, you know, the, what the Patriots aren't doing, what the Patriots are doing isn't good for football. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is incredible for football. Tom Brady is 41 years old, and he goes out every week, and he takes names. Yeah, they took some losses this year, but they ended up in the Super Bowl. So the Patriots get the last laugh. I mean, they beat the Chiefs on the road in that AFC Championship in overtime. Tom Brady is an incredible player, an incredible leader, an incredible passer, and you give him the ball in overtime, as soon as the Patriots won that coin toss and and received, I knew it was over. I mean, I thought there's no way that the Patriots and Tom Brady are not going to march down this field in overtime of a championship game where Tom Brady has so much experience playing you know, with games on the line and, and stuff like that. I, I was just not surprised at all when the Patriots just marched down on the field. Tom Brady did his thing. That was an incredible game. Shout out to the Patriots for that. I'm not even a Patriots fan, but I can admire what they're doing and the success that Tom Brady's had because it is good for sports. You know, if you want to, if you don't want to see them in the championship every year, I think it's nine. They've played in nine Super Bowls in the last 19 years. Beat them. That's what it comes down to. Someone's got to beat them. They're so dominant, and you just you love to see dominance like that as a as a sports fan. And a lot of people think, oh, I want to see somebody else. I want to see the the Chiefs play Patrick Mahomes and the flashy football style or whatever. Beat the Patriots. If you're tired of seeing them win all the time, beat them, and then you can go play for the Super Bowl. So I think what the Patriots and Tom Brady are doing is is totally fine. I'm not. I don't have a problem with it. Again, this is their ninth Super Bowl in 19 years. They're trying to avenge their loss to the Eagles from last year's Super Bowl. How about Tony Romo as well, calling that Chiefs-Patriots game? I mean, it's like watching football with a fortune teller. That was so cool to me because, you know, Tom Brady would do his hand signals. Patrick Mahomes would make a play call or look at a read. And Tom, uh, excuse me, Tony Romo would be in the booth with Jim Nance and just immediately, without hesitation, know what was coming because obviously he has all that NFL experience. And to me, as someone that is, you know, a, a journalist and wants to be a, a sportscaster and is working to be a sportscaster, what an incredible viewing experience because. Romo just takes you inside the game, and so to me, that was really cool. Tony Romo did a great job, and it was like he was essentially, like I said, a fortune teller, just calling everything as he saw it, and Jim Nance, I feel like, was just as surprised as we were. Obviously, Nance has worked with him for a couple seasons now, but he's just, he does, Romo does such a great job, and he's such an entertainer. It's just so much fun to watch the game where there's good football, but also hear incredible commentating where Romo walks you through the game and essentially tells you what's going to happen. You know, he was there was a Twitter reel, a Twitter video that went out with Tony Romo's reel from that game, and I think it was about a minute and a half, you know, eight or nine plays, and he's just he's calling them play after play after play, and he's dead on, you know. T- but he's not saying this is what's going to happen. He says this is what I think is going to happen based off the formations. And if the safety blitz is here or the defense shift, Brady's is going to go right, he's going to go left, whatever. To me, that was just incredible to watch. We're very fortunate to have Tony Romo on that broadcast to do that. And so shout out to Tony Romo and that broadcast crew with Jim Nance. So the NFL playoffs, the Super Bowl is around the corner now. The Rams will face the Patriots in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. So we move on now to our last segment of the Galloway podcast. Like I said in the first episode, we're going to do a little scores and kind of an around the world of sports feature towards the end of the show. I'm going to call this the score report and the schedule for the week. Just kind of give you an update. We're going to go we'll bounce around a couple different sports, kind of stick with basketball, but we're going to we're going to go a different a couple different areas and we will talk about what's going on in the world of sports. So let's get started. In the NBA, Boogie Cousins made his Warriors debut last Friday night. His stat line included 15 minutes, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, and Six fouls. The Warriors won 112 to 94 over the Clippers on Friday night. That's so funny to me. Yeah, he, he played a great 15 minutes. The first play I saw, he hit a three and boogie. I mean, he was just playing well, you know, getting covering all the stat categories. And what's more boogie cousins than fouling out in his first game back? I just thought that was interesting. The Warriors are now sitting pretty in the West Coast. At 32 and 14, they've won seven straight, 
and they are leading the Western Conference. The Nuggets are close behind. They're 31 and 14. They've won two straight. The Western Conference top eight right now looks like this. It's the Warriors at one, the Nuggets at two, Thunder at three, Trailblazers at four, Rockets at five, Spurs at six, the Jazz are at seven, the Clippers at eight. And in the Eastern Conference, we've got the Bucks at one. The Bucks are 33 and 12. They won four in a row. The Raptors are in second, the Pacers in third, the 76ers are in fourth, the Celtics the Celtics are in fifth, the Brooklyn Nets in sixth, the Miami Heat at seven, and the Charlotte Hornets at eight. So the NBA is obviously in full swing now. The Warriors are back doing their thing. Boogie Cousins is playing for the Warriors, and that is fun to watch. You know, a lot of people hate on the Warriors. A lot of people don't like them, call Kevin Durant a snake, whatever. I love the brand of basketball that they play. You know, a lot of people might disagree and say that, oh, you know, they're ruining the game. The Patriots are ruining the game. As I hit on earlier, they're not ruining the game. This is fun to watch. This is championship-level basketball. And if you want them to stop winning at all, then beat them. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to beat them. So it's, it's their brand. It's what they're doing. It's fine for the game. And they're not blowing everybody out. I mean, they're playing good basketball. They have a lot of blowout games, but they play some close games. I mean, the Bucks in the East are 33 and 12. The Warriors in the West are 32 and 14. The Nuggets are right behind the Warriors, you know? The the Nuggets are, are half a game back. And so there's a lot of NBA left to be played, and we'll discuss this on future podcasts, but if you don't like the Warriors brand of basketball, then you're just not a basketball fan, and you, I don't think you can appreciate fully that the Warriors are playing this new style and they're dominating everybody, and I think it's great. But that's just me. You you can tweet me and let me know what you think. Tweet me at WM underscore Galloway. Give me your thoughts on the Warriors and the current status of the NBA. Let's go to the college game. Saturday afternoon featured a trio of games to me that was just so much fun to watch. Because you had the in-state teams with Alabama and Auburn. Of course, we talked about Alabama and Tennessee earlier. You had Auburn versus Kentucky, and that was a home game for Auburn. And then you had Duke-Virginia in a top-five matchup. Number one, Duke versus undefeated number four, Virginia. And, of course, Duke won that 72-70 to at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I didn't, I didn't move from my couch Saturday afternoon. I remember I started with Alabama, flipped over to Auburn, kept it on ESPN for the Auburn Kentucky game, then watch Duke, Virginia. It was just like back-to-back-to-back basketball. And it was incredible. They were incredible games. They were all close. So I think that this was one of the best weekends of college basketball that we've had yet. I want to talk about some of these games. Of course, we hit on Tennessee earlier, as I mentioned. But Auburn-Kentucky, that was a good game. Like I said, Kentucky won 82-80. to And there was was something that happened late in that that Auburn game. And it kind of it kind of sparked the interest of a couple people. Horace Spencer went up for a dunk and ended up on the ground. And here's what happened: He was driving on the left side, driving baseline. He goes up for a dunk, one-handed dunk, by the way. And the Kentucky player makes a play on the ball, what I thought was a basketball play, and what a lot of people do think was a basketball play. He hits Horace Spencer on the arm, and, and Horace, like I said, he only dunked it with one arm, and so. Horace missed the dunk, and then he goes down, and he's falling, and he hits his head on the ground. And and the refs ended up calling it. They reviewed it and called it a flagrant one. But really, it was just a basketball play. I mean, a couple things. Horace should have dunked it with two hands. I don't think it was a flagrant because the guy made a play, and he hit his arm. That's just a basketball play. That happens. And you want to call? They called a flagrant, and I think it was because they saw blood and half of his face. You know, had a big cut and he was bleeding. He ended up going to the locker room and changing jerseys. But that's a play on the ball. You can't call that as a ref because Horace didn't brace his fall, and so naturally he slammed his head on the floor. That's just a basketball play. It's not. There was no malicious intent. He aggressively hit his arm, but the the Kentucky player did, and. Horace Spencer's arm just ended up getting hit because he dunked it with one hand and the guy was making a play on the ball. So that was a little upsetting that they called a flagrant. Kentucky ended up winning that game 82-80. to A couple feature scores from that game. Kentucky's uh, 
P.J. Washington had 13. Reed Travis had 17. Tyler Hero had 20. And Keldon Johnson had 20 also for Kentucky. So four guys in double-digit scoring. I tell you, Tyler Hero is so much fun to watch for the Wildcats. He's incredible. He's fun. He plays hard. I mean, he's just nitty-gritty player. And I really enjoy watching him play because he plays hard for Coach Cal and he plays hard for his teammates. For Auburn, Bryce Brown did his thing in 32 minutes. He had 28 points. Jared Harper had 17. Malik Dunbar had 10 for Auburn. And Chuma Okiki had 11. So four double-digit scores for the Auburn Tigers as well. On to the Duke-Virginia game. Duke won 72 to 70 at Cameron Indoor, like I said, over undefeated Virginia. Zion Williamson had 27 points and 9 rebounds. R.J. Barrett had 30 points. And get this, 40 minutes. R.J. Barrett played the entire game. And that was only episode 1 of the Duke-Virginia saga. The new rankings came out today, actually, in... The, uh, there's a little shakeup in the top 10 of college basketball. Tennessee is now number one after beating their latest win over Alabama. Number two is Duke. Number three, Virginia. Number four, Gonzaga. Five, Michigan. Six, Michigan State. Seven, Nevada. Eight, Kentucky. Nine, Kansas. And 10, Virginia Tech. So, Duke, Virginia remain in the top three. Duke, number two. Virginia, number three. And on February 9th in Charlottesville, Duke will play Virginia in round two. And Virginia is looking for their revenge, obviously, as that was their first loss of the season. But, I mean, these two teams are playing on such a different level. I personally think that Duke and Virginia would both uh, handle Tennessee pretty well. Tennessee is a phenomenal team. But you look at the way that uh, Tennessee struggled with Alabama, and I think Duke and Virginia are just playing on such a high level, and their competition is a little bit stiffer than Tennessee's uh, night in and night out. I think Virginia and Duke you know, are obviously two Final Four teams come March and, and late March as well. Um, but I'm excited for that round two of Virginia-Duke. I'm excited that I'll actually be there. I'm going to have a special podcast episode with my younger brother, John Galloway, and I'll, he is a First-year student at Virginia. I'm going to talk with him after that game, after we attend that Duke-Virginia game. That's going to be a good time to see all those guys in person. You know, not just the Duke guys, but the Virginia guys as well. Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. Of course, I'll get to see Braxton Key. The last time I saw Braxton Key in person, he was in a crimson jersey. Uh, DeAndre Hunter. Just all those guys for Virginia who played well against Duke and are playing really well this season. You know, I'm excited to see that matchup and especially the fire that Virginia's going to have in their in their bellies, you know, the fire in your bellies as as the saying goes against Duke in that second matchup. That will be February 9th, so coming up here in a couple weeks, Virginia versus Duke round 2. Before we can get to that, we've got to get through this week of college basketball and we've got some great games, some Good SEC midweek games, but also this weekend we've got the SEC Big 12 Challenge, which is going to be great. This year's lineup features a lot of good matchups. Again, that's this Saturday starting at 11 a.m. It's on the ESPN family of networks. And a couple games that just kind of stand out to me. Being an Alabama student, I'm going to talk about you know the Alabama-Baylor game, as we mentioned with Hunter Johnson earlier in the podcast. That game is at 11 a.m., on ESPN. So to kind of kick things off of the Big 12 Challenge is Alabama-Baylor. Um, of course, the marquee matchup is Kansas at Kentucky. That game is at 5 o'clock also on ESPN and the ESPN family of networks. Just looking at a couple of the other games, you've got Iowa State at Ole Miss, Florida at TCU, Kansas State at Texas A&M, South Carolina at Oklahoma State, Texas at Georgia, Vanderbilt at Oklahoma, West Virginia at Tennessee, and Arkansas at Texas Tech. Those taking place from 11 a.m. Central through 5 p.m. Central. Those are all the tip-off times, 11, 1, 3, and 5, a variety of starting times, also a variety of locations. They don't play all these games at, at a Big 12 school, and then the next year they play all of them at an SEC school. They, they mix it up. Like I said, Alabama's going to Baylor, and, of course, the Jared Butler storyline there. 
But you remember last if you remember last year, Alabama hosted Trey Young and Oklahoma, and that was a whiteout crowd. Um, their fans got T-shirts, and that place was a sellout. I mean, that place was rocking. So this is a good event that ESPN puts on. It's going to be a lot of good basketball in the SEC and the Big 12 Challenge. This Saturday, elsewhere in the world of sports, and I mean elsewhere as in the land down under, Australia, the Australian Open is in full swing, but um, pun intended, full swing, Australian Open, tennis, all right, all right, I'll get to it. Score updates from the Australian Open in the men's draw. Novak Djokovic is on to the quarterfinals, as is Rafael Nadal. They're on the opposite sides of the bracket. So the normal tennis fan like myself is uh, I'm, I'm hoping they, they meet up in the championship. That would be a great one to see Djokovic and Nadal there. Uh, Nadal won his last match over Thomas Burdich, 3-0. Federer was defeated by, and I'm going to give this a shot, um, uh Federer lost 3-1 there. Federer's the three seed in this tournament, so Federer is out in the Australian Open. Apologize on butchering that name of the Greek player that beat him. Djokovic won his fourth round over Mendelov, uh 3-1. Again, these names are not my forte, and so I apologize on that. In the women's draw of the Australian Open, Serena Williams is on to the quarterfinals after a two-to-one victory. Serena is going to face is on the opposite side of the bracket of Danielle Collins. Danielle Collins, the American, is on the bottom half. Serena's on the top, so maybe we could have an American versus American matchup there in the championship here in a couple days of the Australian Open. Danielle Collins and Serena Williams move on, and that is your Australian Open tennis update. So episode two of the Galloway podcast is winding down. Thank you so much for your listening. We Today we went through a bunch of different topics. We started with an interview with Hunter Johnson. We talked about Alabama basketball. We recapped the Tennessee game. We also previewed Ole Miss and Baylor. Those two teams are on the schedule for Alabama this week. So thank you, Hunter, for your conversation and and the information that you had to contribute to the podcast. We talked to Trendon Watford, talked about his senior season and kind of the direction he's headed next year. His final four teams are Indiana, Alabama, LSU, and Memphis. His commitment date is to be determined, but right now his focus is on getting another state championship. We talked about the NFL playoffs, NFC and AFC championships. The Super Bowl will feature the Patriots and the Rams. What's going to happen there? We'll have to see. Then we went around the world of sports. We talked NBA. We talked tennis. We talked college basketball. And that brings the Galloway podcast to a conclusion. This has been episode two. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please give it a like. Share it on whatever social forms of social media you may have. There's the right way. There's the wrong way. And there's the Galloway. Thanks for listening and have a great day.